With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recorded live. Welcome, everyone, to episode 13 of Gallon Goose and Friends, a self-help question and answer meeting here on Tatsu number 139335. If you'd like to receive a weekly email reminder of the call, please email the host at lawman at gmx.us with the subject line, please add me to the goose. To be removed, use the subject line, please pluck my goose. This call is not associated with Living Lies, Neil's Law Firm, or any other interests and any other legal or accounting or political entity. It is the sole responsibility of the private group of friends which constitute it, and all opinions expressed herein are those of the participants alone. I'm your host, Greg DeGoose, coming to you live from the birthplace of the American Bar Association, the home of Abraham Lincoln, Al Capone, The Untouchables, 16 Shots on Pulaski, and Operation Greylord, where our motto is, vote early, vote often, even if you're dead. This is about a one-hour program in which we hope some questions and answers relating to discussions on or about protecting the homeowner from fraudulent civil attacks might be addressed. The primary focus of this call is to discuss mortgage foreclosure, defense and attack strategies, personal experiences, and to foster unity in the community. No official accounting or legal advice is given herein, so if you need a lawyer or a CPA, please hire one authorized to work in your state. We will start the call out with everybody unmuted, so please be polite and listen to one another. If it gets rowdy, I'll mute everyone, and then you'll have to press star 8 on your phone to raise your hand to speak, and this will place you back into the queue to be brought back into the call in the order of your request. Thank you all for being here tonight. Even though we're a day early because of the holidays, let's try to help each other. So let's begin with uh, some headlines that we might be looking at. In most foreclosure cases, a lot of you have noticed that there's a loss of justice on the altar of expediency. What does that mean? It means that the dockets are so filled up by so many people that judges have a tendency of just rushing things through on the basis of what they've seen before and not dealing with the specifics of every case and not even allowing for discovery. That's one point that we could talk about tonight. Another one is a, a review from a previous call, American Bankers Association Action Alert for Regulatory Relief. 
they're asking people to urge your House member to co-sponsor House Resolution 1389, the American Jobs and Community Revitalization Act of 2015, and House Resolution 1233, the Community Lending Enhancement and Regulatory Relief Act, called the CLEAA, I'm sorry, C-L-E-A-R-R Act, CLEAR Act. That's their acronym. Um, that's something that everybody should read, look at, and find out for yourself. If you ought not, maybe suggest to your House member that that's not a good idea for you personally. Another thing to review is uh, the Bill Patello case in Oregon, where they determined that the notice of rescission is final per the Supreme Court uh, decision in January regarding Dzimowski and it was remanded back to the court to actually have everything revisited. Wolf in Texas, where standing is always under siege, and fraud by the way of road assigning does not constitute proper standing. Another point that we want to talk about, perhaps, is no trust ownership of a mortgage exists because of later improper assignments, which equals the note didn't get into the trust on time, and went somewhere without the security, the mortgage. So, no claim to the security, even though they might have a possible claim to the note, they don't have a possible claim to the security which backs it, which causes all kinds of problems for them. If uh, the Internal Revenue Service wants to actually step up and take a look at these things, they might find that the bankers who created these artificial trusts that never properly put their assets into them, might owe 100% taxes on everything. Wow, that can certainly settle the bank account in America pretty quickly. Trillions of dollars of baloney um, securities. Remember the full faith and credit of the United States of America for issuance of currency under the Federal Reserve is no more than the full faith and credit of the organic United States citizen constituents. The way that they create money is that you keep signing pieces of paper that let them. Think about whether or not you ought to rescind that right. Well, I think that that's kind of pretty good for taking a look at some of the bullet points of what we might want to talk about. And uh, with that, I'm going to open up the doors and let everybody in. Good evening, everyone. Everyone is unmuted. How are we doing tonight? We're good, brother. How are you? I'm still on this side of the grass, and every day on this side of the grass is a good deal. Uh, funny funny up here in the northern Midwest, first full day of winter, um, 60 degrees and thunderstorms, lightning. <laughs> <laughs> it's Down a here in the beach in New Jersey, it's like 75 degrees. Yeah, well... I'm gonna be I'm gonna be launching a I love global warming campaign pretty soon. <laughs> <laughs> it sure beats frostbite. <laughs> we won't stop riding our motors until there's two cans nesting in the trees. There you go. Gotta love it. Actually my dream is to be able to grow an avocado tree in Chicago. Well, that works. We're getting there quicker than you know. So, 
I read through a list of possible things that we could talk about tonight. It's probably going to be a little bit of a shorter show because obviously the holidays are upon us and I don't know how many people got the message that we moved it from Thursday to Wednesday for this week and next week. So uh, let's just have some fun and hang out with each other and uh, I'm, I'm really eager to hear what other people's experiences are before I, you know, spill my guts about mine. <laughs> I'm with you. Does anybody have something going on with their own personal issues that would be interesting to share, either in a positive or in a challenging kind of way for everybody else to, to hear about? Uh, I just have one short one. I decided to pay my property taxes because we've heard some information from somebody who does participate that when when it all shakes down, the, per, the guy who's paying the property taxes is still going to be left standing. Um, so I decided to pay my property taxes and have the receipt. And I want to see how long it takes opposing counsel to find out that I paid the property taxes from his client, <clears throat> Auckland. Uh-huh. So we shall see, because basically the servicers hardly ever uh, even talk to their client or talk to their lawyers. Doesn't seem like a good idea to me, but that's the way it is. So, I'll see. And make sure you also get a hold of your uh, your property insurance company. And also pay for that directly, too. Right. And give them a notice that nobody, nobody else should pay for that for you. What they did, they insert themselves into the stream and then say that they are the owner, and they are basically taking the place of the creditor, when in fact they are not the creditor. In fact, as we've found out, no creditor exists. So that's my little story for tonight. It's a great story. I love you for even saying it out loud. God bless you and Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Can I, can I add to that, Greg, or am I allowed to speak yet? Or Go for it. So... I'm in New Jersey. I'm a builder. My name's Mike Keene. And, uh. I love your post, Mike. Thank you, sweetheart. It's very nice of you to say. I appreciate that. Um, and so I, I searched high and low. I've been raped by, and forget that's a, that's a strong word. And it's actually not a good word. I should say, uh, we have been manipulated and abused by any number of attorneys as they've rifled through our pockets in an effort to try to explain as succinctly as that woman just said uh, what exactly they're doing. And uh, so I found this attorney, and uh, he's in New Jersey, and he's very uh, – he's one of the good guys, it turns out. And he did a closing for me some years ago, and it, that's what caused me to go look for him. And uh, I found him. And it turns out he's in foreclosure because he went through a tough divorce with some sickness in the family and so on and so forth. Anyway, he's in foreclosure. So I explained to him Countrywide, to Bank of America, Kemp versus Countrywide, very simply as, uh, I, I don't know your name, the girl that just talked. What was your name? My name is Neva. I'm Louise on Living Lies. Oh, yeah, I love you. Yeah, you're great. Um, and... Uh, Louise, and uh, so he at first thought I belonged wearing a tinfoil hat, and he thought I was crazy. 
And I said to him, you know, if you look at Kemp versus Countrywide, and if you look at 1872, Carpenter versus Longin with the, with the lien following the note, and if you realize that there's securitization fail and none of these things have ever properly transferred, so therefore, according to their own rules, they're not in possession of standing in order to press this phony uh, debt against you. And he said, well, it's interesting. He said, because they, they took the house away from me in foreclosure six years ago. And I said, okay. And what have they done with it since? And he said, well, that's the most unusual thing. Now, this is an attorney who's a real estate attorney. He's also a, li who's a, a, a licensed accountant. And he doesn't understand what the hell's going on either. And he says to me, well, it's interesting because they never took possession of the house. They allowed it to lay fallow after they took it uh, in a foreclosure six years ago. I said, okay, so what's happening now? He says, well, um, now there's a brand-new servicer that's popped up, and they're claiming, despite the fact that it's already been lost in foreclosure as per uh, a ruling that came down, he says they're claiming that they're in possession of the debt. So I said, that's interesting. How in the world does the thing go into foreclosure and end up, end up in the hands of a completely different bank? How does that work? He said, that's an interesting question, which he's been following up on. So with regard to your insurance uh, story that you just told, I'll fast forward a little bit. And this particular house, because I'm a builder, he said to me, I need you to go over and take a look at it because the management company let themselves in and turned off the gas and turned off the heat, but they let the water stay on. And we had a severe winter in New Jersey last year, not, not at all like this year, and pipes burst, and the whole house needed to be gutted of drywall and so on and so forth, which I did. So I said to him, let's get an adjuster over here and let's find out what, uh, what the story is to repair this damage. So he said to me, well, they, uh, and we have a, a, another couple people that work with us on this sort of thing. We're trying to rally and create a kind of a legal group here in this part of New Jersey. And as we all know, it's very difficult to do. But anyway, uh, so the girl that usually helps us looked at it, and she said, you know, they're charging you, uh, the servicing company is charging you for forced place insurance. And the first number we heard was $7,200 a month. Goodness. So we looked at that, and we said, well, wait a minute. Could that possibly be true? So we looked at it, and we found that, yes, the first uh, insurance company was charging that number, and they've since passed it off to yet another insurance carrier. So I said to him, how much does your insurance normally cost per year on that house? He says, well, $4,000. I said, so they're charging you $7,200 a month when it should cost 4000 a year? So that piqued his interest. That's one of the reasons why he first started to agree with me that maybe I'm not as nuts as I appear to be on first glance. And, Mike, and Mike just for those who are tuning in now, we're describing your conversation with a man who is a licensed attorney and a licensed CPA. Right, and he hasn't the foggiest notion about what in the world any of this stuff is about. So this is this is the and, learning curve you know, that we're fighting. What was that? What's that old joke? Uh, a one-eyed man in the world of the blind is a genius, or something like that. <laughs> the one, the one-eyed man in the land of the blind is the king. And there you go. And Gandhi would say, even if you are a minority of one, if the truth is on your side. 
the rest is immaterial or words to that effect. And I don't mean to be long-winded. And you're, again, I ran home because I think no, Greg's probably mad at me because I've missed the past couple of meetings. <laughs> and I'm trying to – but here's the long and the short of it. So anyway, um, we get to this crossroad where we're trying to get someone to come and take a look at the damage in the house. And he says to me, well, the, the insurance company has called me back. And despite the fact that they're claiming that they're taking $7,200 a month, they can't send an adjuster out because they don't know which company owns the insurance. Oh, that's nice. Imagine that. So so now the girl that does this, all the background work for us, she's very good. She's very shrewd. She figures these things out. She finds that the insurance company that ultimately raises their head to say, you know, uh, well, we are, we've been accepting the insurance payments and so on and so forth, she finds out that they have no physical presence on planet Earth. They are very simply a uh, a website. Uh-huh. And their portfolio of loans that they claim to be maintaining the insurance on They've placed a value of some twenty-two to twenty million, twenty-four million dollars, and lo and behold, all of those insurance contracts and their website is for sale. So the wow. attorney at this point is looking at me like I couldn't even believe that this kind of thing's going on until I ran into. Um, another question would be, where is this insurance company registered to do business? It's a great question, Louise, and. So far, we haven't even gotten that far. We've been um, since all of this nonsense went down. I went to the to the local building department. And Greg, am I getting long winded? Should I be quiet? Oh no, this is totally fine. Uh, unless somebody else wants to jump in, but I do want to. I just want to just put a seed in your thoughts, all of you. When we're talking about insurance, right now we're talking about hazard insurance for the house, right? Right. What I think also should be addressed at some point in our conversation is the title insurance. Because I think that there are people that are holding a title insurance policy, or we're holding title insurance policies that we purchased that promised certain things that didn't happen. And there are probably some claim liabilities that exist for us to go back to those title insurance companies and say, hey, you were sleeping at the wheel. You promised this. You promised that. It wasn't true. And uh, pay up. And they I think did. that we should also think about that. Go ahead, go ahead, Louise. That wasn't me. Is there another woman out there? Was that Kat? Yeah, I'm here. You got, um, you yeah, you're you're you got, uh, you're you're probably more uh, attuned to that topic than the rest of us. I I am, and I've been I've been shouting it on Living Life for years about the taxes and the insurance. And the only and the only party that has standing would be the party that's paying those taxes. And as long as you can show proof of insurance, and you make sure that you are the lost payee on the policy. They can't charge you that forced place insurance. And if somebody else for, it chooses to pay $7,200 a year for a forced place insurance policy and to make themselves a lost payee, well, you know, that's at their own expense. 
But uh, it's always been saying that the party that is um, paying the taxes is the only party that has standing to foreclose. Agreed. Now, now my attorney that's, never That's a me. really profound statement, Kathy. Yes, it is. I, I have, you know, like I said, um, I was very fortunate, and I got, unfortunately, at the beginning of all of this in the early 2000s, got caught up in this mess. And um, I didn't understand it, and my friends didn't explain it to me. I just, you know, I couldn't understand what the heck legal standing had to do with what they did to us. We were on automatic payments. And they sent notice of default and filed foreclosure without transferring the mortgage on the title first and not even owning the note like Countrywide claims because they weren't the original lender on the note. Um, and um, they said that our payments were returned um, non-sufficient funds. And I believe I said before is that I went to my local bank, got copies of the bank statements, sent copies certified mail, and faxed them copies immediately right the account and stopped the closure proceeding. And their response uh, after the Okay, Kev, 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 let me, let, let me interrupt for just a quick moment here. Two things. Number one, for folks just tuning into the call and just a whole bunch just showed up, um, we're talking about insurance taxes and proper standing for the homeowner to defeat claims for foreclosure. Secondly, there are other people on the call who have got some noise going on in the background that's getting a little bit interfering for everybody to hear what's being said. I ask you all to please be polite and mute your own phone when you're not speaking or don't have something to add in quickly so that uh, your background noise, I don't know if you're chopping vegetables or if, you know, something else is going on with the kids, but um, it would be nice. Otherwise, I'll have to hit the mute button for everybody and, and start that whole process of having mute? everybody come back in. How do you mute? Um, on my phone, I've got a mute button. That's what I do. And I think that there's a way for people to mute themselves. I beg your pardon, but... You know, it's only uh, 12 weeks into this call, and I don't know where all the buttons are on your phone for muting it as a as a part of the TalkShoe service. I just know how to do it personally on my own phone. Um, does anybody know how to do that? Just have them mute their phone on their end. Uh, okay. Um, Leo from Canada says, star six will mute your call. Thank you, Leo. Um, so there okay, you go. About, if you, about the title insurance. I paid the ahead. taxes and I paid that homeowner's insurance. And that way no party has any standing. Now, about the title insurance, you're correct about the title insurance policies. That's where my claim lies is the missing warranty deeds. And I didn't right. understand with Illinois being a, you know, a lien theory state, um, how we ended up with what was was supposed to be a lien and us being title holders ended up being a tree, uh, deed of trust. So I couldn't get a loan to refinance the property 
um, not even putting half of the money down because I couldn't get title insurance. I went to Chicago Title. I went to the lender, got approved, went to get the, the preliminary title insurance policy, and that's where all the problems started to arise. Now, being a cash buyer to pay off my husband's note, if I would pay them cash, I'm not getting the title. I'm not getting a warranted title because at this point, you know, when you've got the original lender on the note and you've got Countrywide that stepped in and you've got Bank of America that stepped in and you've got multiple claims and you've got the title insurance company saying, well, you need proof, which is why I said, you know, get your preliminary title insurance policies when you realize there are gaps in the title. And this is prior to your purchase also in many, many cases. And um, when you realize that the same questions the title insurance companies are, are requiring you to prove on the title insurance policy, otherwise they'll ex- be excluded um, from the title insurance policy, it's the same thing that the lawyers are asking for in court for the proof of claim, and that's the money trail. Because the money trail doesn't add up to what's on the title insurance, I mean, what's on the mortgage and recorded at the local county recorder's office. And so, you know, if you're a purchaser of one of these properties, you're not going to pay cash and get a title as is when you're a warranting party with your spouse on that title. Do you understand how the title insurance ties in? It's the title insurance companies, and you made a very, very interesting statement, and I think that you should all look into, is who are those stockholders in those title insurance companies? Great um, point. And then then you're going to get a really good idea because they spun a really, really big web. Um, I can tell you that I have seen most of these foreclosures proceed um, because the homeowners don't pay the taxes, and they give that party standing to foreclose on, and I'm going to use this word carefully again, the estate, not, not the house, but the entire estate, which would be why they would come after the estate's assets. And, you know, because I couldn't figure out, Greg, why anybody in their right mind wouldn't take a payoff until I found out about the title. Right. And my lawyers, they literally beat their head in the wall trying to deal with these people. And, um, you know, and when you come right down to it, when you're dealing with a party like that, then when it comes down to the law and these trusts and, and what they did, is standing. And... The only party that's coming forward, you're, you're, they're coming in court as two different parties. Mm-hmm. You're, you, you've got the unsecured debt collector coming in with the tax, the person that's been paying the taxes, because that's the person withstanding. The unsecured debt collector, you know, hey, he wanted to pay for that forced place insurance. Well, you had insurance and you were the lost payee on your own policy, then, you know, that's his problem. It's unsecured. It's the same way with the debt. It's unsecured because they did split the note and mortgage. The only way they can bring those two back together is if all the grantors 
and all the trustees agree to it. So I've been this saying is a, this is a really good point, but this is a really good point because, um, as we've all seen, um, the whole process of proper of following the proper paper trail for the securitization process on the note and mortgage has failed. And in most cases, you've got the name of the original originator. We won't even call them a lender. We'll say the original originator trying to do an assignment to the current trustee of a trust, which skips four steps of assignment that have to actually be endorsed and then forwarded. There is no allowances in, in PSAs, uh, pooling and servicing agreements, for, you know, picking up lost $100 bills on the floor and throwing them into a trust. Um, everything has got to be done by the book and recorded so that the mortgage follows the note so that there's no bifurcation by accident or on purpose. But they don't do that. They did it on purpose from the beginning. So what has happened is that when they go to foreclosure, most people will find out that if you look at your county recorder's office, upon your default or their claim of your default is when they do the assignment. And how can they possibly do an assignment? Like in my case, a company which has been bankrupt for five years that is in receivership and has a receiver and is being monitored by the uh, FDIC that is not allowed to do a damn thing for itself anymore. And any power of attorney that was previously issued by that organization is null and void, but they're pretending that it still exists. Correct. And because you can't transfer an asset into a company that no longer exists. And that was the oh, issue. You, you are, no, you can't transfer it from a company that no longer exists. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, yeah, but, right. Actually, both of those comments are true. Yes. Okay. <laughs> unless, unless you get, unless you get a written exception from the United States government trustee overseeing the bankruptcy of this entity who is in receivership. That's true. And if you don't get that from fucking treasury, it don't it don't float. It don't oh. hunt. That that dog don't hunt. That's right. <laughs> but remember, Countrywide didn't go into bankruptcy. I'm a Countrywide. Well, yeah, well, so New, New Century well, did. <laughs> yeah. Well, no. <laughs> so you know, because I settled with them. Um, right. So that's a good point. That's a good point that the cop, uh, that's a very good point, Captain. Just to say this and look, everybody needs to pay attention to the specific fact pattern of their case and the parties involved. Where cool. the, some of the things that we're saying might sound encouraging to you, you have to make certain that your personal fact pattern fits. It's Otherwise, true. you yeah, have to find I'm one that does. You need that in a timeline that's easy for a judge to understand, even if you use the charts to do it. It has to be, that timeline has to be simple, that any person can understand. And I'm, glad, I'm glad you mentioned that, Kath. Um, 
for the last several weeks, I've been demoing two different pieces of Office timeline software that integrate with uh, Microsoft Office. All right? And I've made my own decision that for myself, if you go to www.officetimeline.com, there's a nice little piece of software that will integrate with Excel and Word and everything else where you can then start putting together a list in Excel of all the things that have ever happened to you by date and by document and everything else, and then you can export it over to this timeline software and provide somebody to see what you're talking about at a snapshot instead of trying to explain it all. It takes a little bit of work, but it's absolutely worth the time. And what that's right. that's www.officeline.com? OfficeTimeline.com. www.officetimeline.com. And that's the only one I found that was truly for free. The other ones were just a teaser to get you to go and try it out for seven days and eventually spend $1,000 or $500. Um, But this one actually works. So I I would suggest folks to try that out. Um, Hopefully you're good at at least Microsoft Word and Microsoft Excel, and you can create columns and tables and things to to do that. But if you can do that, you can actually start creating something helpful to put your case forward to a lawyer. And one of the problems that we have with lawyers and their paralegals is that this stuff is so deep, so long and so deep that it's just not worth their time it's just not worth their time. And if you That's show up with everything done, if you no, it's not worth their time. But if you show up with all this crap done and then show them how to drill down and get it done and find access to the important documents and the timeline and show them where the, the errors occurred, then they're going to start going, wow. Here's a customer who is so proactive, they're going to be more inclined to work with you, all right? And that's kind of where we're at, you know. They're, they're, the good lawyers are inundated with lots and lots of opportunities. The bad lawyers can't find a job, all right? And this gives you a tool to place yourself in between the uh, the foreclosure attorneys and the personal injury attorneys. and give them an opportunity to see how this whole thing could bottom line to help them financially to, to give them an incentive to help you. That's all. Okay. I want to shut up about that, but there you go. It's a great point. I'd like to make a comment. Go. Okay. I've worked with about four or 5,000 corporate in 2001 after house buying and foreclosure, I started not for profit, helping a lot of people. And uh, we did a lot of study, and there's a lot of things people need to know. First of all, the information that you're giving is very, very good. But the real issue after you get this information is what kind of judge are you dealing with? Are you dealing with a judge who's been paid off by a bank? Are you dealing with a judge who really has no clue what's going on. Are you dealing with a judge that wants to help homeowners? 
you got to really read the judge. And then you have to test the judge by putting some proceedings just to see how it operates. So you may do something like a simple motion to dismiss or something to see if this judge is going to be trying to be, even appear to be fair. So once you know you're dealing with an unfair judge, you, you should really do the homework beforehand if you can. And that means going to the courtroom and study that judge. It's all public. And study how he, how he treats people and all of that. And then to see if you can see the relationship between them and the others. You're favoring the bank attorneys many times they do. You got to really know that courtroom. You got to know that judge. And then, because sometimes they're just playing a game with you the whole time. Many times. It depends on the judge. Now, I'm not saying all judges are bad because they're not. But many of them, most of them, are, not, are either clueless of what's going on or they know what's going on and they just ignore it. I knew when I first got into this, I wrote a plea. This is back in 2001 in bankruptcy court in Northern District, Illinois, a house that I had that was in foreclosure. And I said, the whole money system is just crooked. You know, it's, it's all based on fractional reserve money, such and such. And, and then, hey, I don't want to get involved in this stuff. So there are many ways to win in, in there, but what they use is two things. One, they try to just get you to give up. Most people do. Most people never fight. They just give up. The second is when you have a good case, if you're not good at civil procedure, then they will use the strategy of avoiding Many people have started learning how to send out qualified written requests and some discovery and interrogatories and all of that, but they don't know what to do when that bank doesn't respond. They don't know how to file a motion to compel. In Illinois, you got to file a 201K. you got to send a 201K letter, and then you have to do a motion to Then they have to have the actual response that they gave, and then you have to show that their time. There's a lot of rules. So the rules of civil procedure for the problem with lawyers, and this is the problem of hiring a lawyer, because I've helped many people get their homes free and clear. Most of them didn't use a lawyer. And the reason they didn't is because the lawyers are trained in law school just to simply study case law. They're not trained to make case law. So they're always looking for the ruling case law, but most of that is already set for those who are in control of status quo. So if you don't challenge case law and put new case law on that, is that really lawyering or is that clerk? So that's what you're dealing with. So it's really the post saying, and those those few attorneys who are willing to study the law and raise it that are going to make the difference. So what it, what needs to happen, because think about some of the laws that we, we put up with. You hire attorneys, and you're not allowed to speak in court. Why would a why would a grown man or woman let a law be that a lot that tells them that they can't talk in their own place because they hired somebody? You know, so all of these things are set up to keep people. I'm sure many of you have experienced that if you actually go and argue your case, well, next time you come to court, you're going to be the last person called. Everybody's going to be gone. Has anybody ever experienced that? Yes, I have twice. It sounds to me like you said that you helped other people with their homes. Is that correct? Thousands. Thousands. Probably on four or five thousand people, but I'm not... All right. Would you would you be interested would you be interested in sharing your email address with the folks on the call? Um, let me. I'm just thinking about which one that won't be overloaded. How about? <laughs> and I'm not asking. No, you don't have to. You don't have to do it on the call. You can send it to me, and okay. then everybody else on the call 
knows my email address at lawman at gmx.us. And okay, your, you can keep it, keep it L-A-W-M-A-N at gmx.us. Mm-hmm. All right, that's six letters. L-A-W, like law, and then man, lawman, mm-hmm. at gmx.us, like United States. I'm not getting right. that last part. At gmx. And, and, and that would be true for everybody. If anybody wants to speak with anybody and wants to share it with other people on the call without putting it onto the published recording, um, that's how you do it. And I'll act as a private clearinghouse so that only people within the phone call can actually share with each other and it doesn't become a matter of public record for, you know, hackers and goofballs to bother you. Right. right, and I think you were saying it's L-A-W-M-A-N at gmail.com? No, not gmail. G-M-X dot U-S. Okay, because that fellow was asking what the last part of it was. I think you missed yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's actually in Germany. Yeah. I'm from I'm sure from Deutschland and Österreich. Yeah, Kanzler Deutschland. Yeah. I was curious at the fellow that was just talking... What part of the country are you from? Midwest. Um, Illinois. Well, well I, oh. I sleep I sleep around Chicago. No, we know where you're Indiana. from. I was talking to the other guy. <laughs> <laughs> and he, and you know what? He's right. He's right because if you if you are, they look at pro se and they call us. Uh, uh, what is it? They call us. Uh, Ward of the court. Now, they will actually call us Rambo litigants because we don't stay within the proper forms of etiquette where they're all talking around the truth and trying to, you know, use double speak and all this other stuff. We're actually going up there, and that fellow's right. Uh, the, uh, not Greg, but the fellow was talking. And he's right because if you have a grasp of the facts, they're going to sequester you and make you stay behind so nobody else really has a chance to listen to what you're saying because I feel they're threatened by you. Uh, hey, you know what, guys? I want to take a – everybody take a breath. I'm going to read you a quotation from page two of uh, Bill Padalo's Pretender Leonard's uh, PDF 51-page uh, document that's for sale on his website. Uh, it's, a, it's a synopsis of all the research that he's done on securitization. And this is a really great quote. And this is citing, this is citing uh, Civil Code 1457, Montgomery versus D.E. Space, capital P-I-C-O-T, 1908-153, California, 509-512-96-305. And it says this. No benefit of the bargain can be had when the whole thing was based on deceit, omission, and concealment of the true parties and true nature of the transaction. Everyone has a right to select and determine with whom he will contract and cannot have another person thrust upon him without his consent. In the familiar phrase of Lord Denman, which is that reference, you have the right to the benefit you anticipate from the character, credit, and substance of the party with whom you contract. 
and as declared in our code, the burden of an obligation may not be transferred without the consent of the party entitled to the benefit. Isn't that cool? It's great. That's, that is a good one, yeah. And so, Greg, so what happens yeah. when you have a non-party that is not a borrower? What happens to my rights? I didn't have a right to pay it off because it wasn't a bargain that my husband had negotiated or, the you know, the so-called mortgage that was on the face of the contract. So who's negotiating uh -huh. for me? At 50% of the estate and my assets, who's negotiating for me under my behalf? Well, if we were talking about bullets and bombs, you would be called collateral damage. Exactly. You? So... If I don't have a right to pay off the debt, and I'm the warrantor of the title, um, but, you know, there's a warrantor before me, before closing. Right. But um, let me give you a, a little clip of a timeline here real quick. Cool. My husband, my husband received title to the property 11 days prior to closing. What happened to that title during that time? Yeah, I have a question. If your husband received the title eleven days before closing, mm -hmm. why would he? Why would he have gone through the rest of the bullshit? <laughs> because because yeah. he okay. Because he was unaware. As a matter of fact, we were both under the assumption that we were receiving a warranty deed at closing, but that's a different story in our case. The, he, let's just say that the borrower was unaware of that. Okay. And, uh, in other words, the borrower, the borrower was unaware that he already owned the property. So, right, and then the borrower, or let me rephrase that, the State turned around and used the property as collateral because exactly because see you when he took title by a trustee with no trustee agreement but that's another sideline on my side is my question is as a non-party to this transaction. There were rights that were taken from me, like the right to prepay my husband's debt. Right. So do you understand what I'm saying? So they would rather, right. instead of take my money, they would rather sue me and drag me through court with my husband under false claims, claims that our time scale and our records prove otherwise. Well, so, are they false claims or are they simply uh, rebuttable claims? Well, a combination of both. Combination of both. Now, I don't think that what a lot of people realize is that when Christine talks about these suspense accounts and everybody's like, blah, 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 blah. But the thing is with these suspense accounts, if the money, as long as their computer record didn't show it was current, whether you disputed it or not, as long as that showed that it wasn't current, your money went into a suspense account. That was the mm -hmm. principal, the interest, and the escrow payment. So if your escrow payments went into a suspense account, who was 
making those tax payments. Master Servicer. Thank you. That's correct. And and the other part and the other part of it is which I keep hounding everybody about is that the MERS tracks these things and there are twelve and I'm not making this number up. Everybody thinks I should be you know, I should belong on Mars. But there are twelve hundred trillion US dollars owed to notional derivatives. It's a real number. They looked at it. They first started to talk about it probably five, six or year, five or six years ago. They now, instead of calling it a quadrillion because too many people started to catch on, now if you go online, you Google $1,200 trillion, you realize that these notional derivatives, which are, and the big short came out today, these notional derivatives are very simply predicated upon your default, your sh that what they did is they short sold you to people that you'll never that you that you're well you may be you may be able to get to them if you have a, an ability to, to track them. But my point is, these notional derivatives are self-fulfilling properties uh, prophecies because I think it was Deb that was just speaking. And here's my point: whether you claim default or not. If they're controlling the trust, and as we know, the trust is empty because they use someone else's money to take these loans and put them in their own possession, then the question becomes, and I've followed it as far as, I, believe me, I've followed it pretty far, there's no, there's no FHA, there's no VA, there's no Ginny, there's no Fannie, there's no Freddie, and the trust never existed when these people claimed to have put one of my loans into it. So the question now is, where is that trust? It's a private trust. It's a privately owned trust. It's somewhere in the Caribbean. These people are collecting the payments every 30 days. And whether you're still paying it or not, the servicer's on the hook to maintain it, to keep up appearances, while they are placing short sale bets against it so that they can collect mm. on their portion of $1,200 trillion that are owed against Notional derivatives. That's the Mike, Mike, uh, I'm going to ask Neva to chime in here for just a moment. Yeah, go ahead. I don't mean to be long-winded. Go ahead. No, no, no. No, this is in support of what you're saying. Um, um, I just posted this up onto the chat board, www.darkjournalist.com. Oh, yeah. Slash dash F-I-T-T-S 7 dot P-H-P. Neva, would you, you, you've been listening to Catherine Austin Fitz, former uh, Deputy Secretary to uh, HUD. the uh, H Housing and Urban Development. Right. Um, who's a, a, a notarized, uh, no, no, I want to say, uh, that, I'm saying that wrong, a woman of notoriety with respect to her her skill set as a certified public accountant and as someone within the government, right? And she used to work for the Bush administration, so she's really not got an axe to grind. Um, and a lot of things happened to her over the years. She spent $6 million of her own money defending her name. Um, when the government decided to go and screw with her, 
as a whistleblower. Um, just generally, with respect to talking about, you know, where is the money going? And, you know, Mike just mentioned, you know, 1,200 trillion credits called dollars. And speaking about why we ought not be or why we ought to be paying attention to the hole in the bucket, right? There's a hole in the bucket, and if we're trying to maintain, you know, good accounting within the United States of America for all people, and there's a big leaky hole in the bucket, we'll never be able to do it. And what you what you showed me by pointing this out to me was that there is a possibility that it's going someplace else. Neva, would you like to please tell everybody about what you learned? Thank you. Well, um, Catherine Austin Fitz is an extremely interesting woman, and Dark Journalist is a, a guy who does the interviews of her. Now, she has something else called the Solari Report, which uh, you can subscribe to. It's not inexpensive. Uh, but she also uh, was a managing director and member of the board of directors of the Wall Street Investment Bank, Dylan Reed & Company. She knew she was right there in in the trenches with the the stuff that was going on when she decided she didn't didn't want to do it anymore, and they were terrified of her whistleblowing, and uh, they they actually tried to kill her. They tried to take her out altogether. She now lives in Tennessee, but she has some extremely interesting stuff to talk about because of the black projects that we don't know about where they're siphoning. Because when you add it all up, it, you don't what have is, Neva, what is a black project? Well, a black project can be, it usually involves weapons uh, that they don't want you to know about. Um, when I was a court reporter many years ago, it's actually a lawsuit about a guy who had come up with a laser that you could fire from a plane and blow another plane out of the air. Well, in 1975, I knew what lasers were, but this guy had already developed it. So that's an idea of what black projects are. They're usually about weaponry and stuff that is not going to be real good for the people. Let's put it that way. So, well, I can actually confirm that story because at that time I was doing research in lasers. Um, and I had all kinds of advisors within AT&T and other people. And uh, that was actually a headline story in a magazine at the time called Laser Focus, where they had a carbon dioxide laser, which was taking the exhaust gas from an airplane engine and running it through a laser chamber with two parallel mirrors to allow for them to do that. And that was the only story that ever happened, that headline front page story on that magazine, Laser Focus. And after that, it disappeared. That's right. It was underground. It goes underground. Right. Reason to and believe. But I, but, I can, but I can give you personal witness to that. All right. Uh, there's reason to believe they're developing a base on the moon. They're developing a base on Mars, which all sounds Buck Rogers, but uh, there's an awful lot of money disappearing mm. out of the system altogether. Right. But most people don't think about me as having anything to do with science and things like that, but I've got a quite checkered past. You know. I think of you more as a ballroom dancer. Oh, thank you. <laughs> 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 
I'm just having fun at you. Uh, look, I agree. I, I think, and again, whether I belong wearing tinfoil hat or not, the point is there's a very real $1,200 trillion international deficit, which I believe was created as part of a hyperinflationary scheme to devalue the U.S. dollar in an effort to debase the U.S. dollar in order to introduce alternative currency strategies. And, and you know what? I'm going to go the other direction. Okay. I'm saying that I think that it was all done to prop up the value of the U.S. dollar, even though it had no value at all anymore. And it was well, all done through smoke and mirrors and a shell game so that they could continue to siphon off more value from the rest of the world for a period of time. And then well, I agree when, with they that, done, that, when, when they got done with their mission, then they would let it collapse. And so I, the moment the U.S. dollar collapses, you'll know that they've accomplished what they wanted. Well, I agree with that, too, up to a point, because if you're going to inveigle China into purchasing our debt, now they are essentially chained to our debt. And, yes, as, it, as the bubble inflates, it becomes more inflationary, yes. And the value diminishes, so on and so forth. I, I listen. I get it. I understand it. But my point, it's called, Michael, it's called milking the cow. When yeah, I agree the with you. But is filled, when the udder is filled, you squeeze it. I, look, I agree with you. But, empty, and then when it's empty, you sell it. Right. But in the meantime, the there is a one tenth of one per, uh, of one percent that owns the whole operation. They have been manipulating. No, actually, I, actually, I think it's like point nine three seven. Yeah, okay, I'm Sorry. with you. But just again, being a, just being a record. <laughs> I agree with you. But and I, and I know you're poking fun me. I agree with you. But here's my point: if they, if there's a the select minority at the top, and they are the central bankers, which are the IMF, World Bank, and intentionally mislabeled Federal Reserve, these people have deliberately targeted the currency system, and contravention of the Constitution, Article 1, Section 8. There's no mechanism for them to be there, even as there's no mechanism for the IRS because they are also fraudulent. They don't belong there. There's no mechanism in the Constitution that they should be there in the first place, and none of the states ever ratified the fact that, they're, that, the, that they were put into place in the first place. So the, so the next question becomes, at this point, What's the fallback position? And, and I've said it a hundred times. It's the greenback dollar. It's a viable currency. It exists in our treasury. And all this other nonsense about we're going to face a zombie apocalypse and the sky is falling and ISIS is going to get us and all that other nonsense is very simply predicated upon another effort to create another war so that the same people at the top can continue to profit even as they drive the American currency further into hyperinflationary status. And that's that well, to me. What I want to ask you what I want to ask you and everyone else on the call. You know, because I'm not trying to promote any vision or, or belief here. I'm admitting that I don't know shit. I'm admitting that I am as deep into studying and learning as everybody else. But I have lots of questions. And I yield to the wisdom of all the wonderful people on our call and around the world to help answer these things. All right. Um, if you want to think about, you know, I've made this mentioned several times, uh, the pair of 
investigators on the famous TV show, The X-Files, where you've got Fox Mulder and Dana Scully, where he wants to just believe everything just for the hell of it, and she is willing to believe it if you provide proof. Right? And I feel more like the latter. You know, I want to know, and I want proof. And, you know, I'm not necessarily as anal as she is on the show, but I do want proof um, of some kind, at least, you know, a, a smidgen to show that it's just not um, a bunch of people buying into a co-intel operation belief system that was designed to distract us and move us away from what it is that we're supposed to be doing to help ourselves and defend America and the values that were established when we created, not we, but the ancestors created this this nation. So with that said, what do we have to prove that any of this stuff is really going on? And what is it just, and what more is it just than a bunch of speculation? Well, I'm Deb from Maryland, and I think, Greg, what you said is true. Some things are created to create a distraction, so it's really hard to know what they're trying to distract you from. Well, can I, can I interject and say, here's my evidence. It's the Constitution, Article 1, Section 8. Okay, the, the, the Federal Reserve System is intentionally mislabeled. It's neither federal as it's owned by a 12-regional bank system whose participants are all privately owned commercial banks. That's right. very specifically a fact. There's no doubt about that. You cannot, as a public person, participate in any of the shares because they are not offered to the public. They are traded privately. That did is you ever read, of, but Mike, did you ever read... 12 U.S.C. 411. Not familiar with it, although uh, I'm sure you have. <laughs> Go ahead. What do you got, kid? Give it to me. All right. You know what? I don't have it up, but, you know, I think this is worth me looking it up and reading it to you. It's very Run it past me again. Give, me the, give, me, give it to me again. 12 U.S.C. 411. Okay. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go look it up and read it to you because this is uh, this is how you assist them. And anyway, here's here's my point while you're looking that up. Here's here's the uh, Cornell Law website. God bless them. They're pretty good. Go ahead. Twelve USC. Oh, come on. I don't need an advertisement. No, hang on. I'm waiting for this stupid. Can't believe even even the Cornell University website has advertising. <laughs> well, it's... I have it. Um, um, there we go. Twelve U.S. Code four eleven. Issuance to reserve banks. Nature of obligation and redemption. Federal Reserve notes to be issued at the discretion of the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve System for the purpose of making advances to Federal Reserve banks through the Federal Reserve agents, as hereinafter set forth. 
and for no other purpose are authorized. You got that? Yeah, so in other words, someone that was not elected, has no elected office, is working hand-in-hand with 12 regional banks whose participants... No, 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 just slow down. Slow down. Put your put your gun put your gun back in your holster. Hang on. I'm with you. Keep going. I just I, go ahead. I'm going to read this again. Federal Reserve notes to be issued at the discretion of the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve System for the purpose of making advances to Federal Reserve banks through the Federal Reserve agents, as hereinafter set forth and for no other purpose are authorized. So what That's you're saying is the one. difference between no, authorizing currency vis-a-vis bonds, is that what you're trying to say? No. Here, let me continue. The said notes, the said notes shall be obligations of the United States and shall be receivable by all national and member banks and Federal Reserve banks. Got that? All right, national guys. and member banks and Federal Reserve banks showing that they're not all the same. And for all taxes, customs, and other public dues, they shall be redeemed in lawful money on demand at the Treasury Department of the United States in the city of Washington, District of Columbia, or at any Federal Reserve Bank. Okay. What this is telling you is if you are out there using and negotiating Federal Reserve notes in your daily business. You are accepting the duty and or and, and title of an agent and or a bank. You're a bank or you're an agent for a bank because there is no legal way that you could use a Federal Reserve note in this world that you live in if you are not an agent of a bank or a bank yourself. That's what it says. And it says says that you can go into a bank and and it says you can go into a bank and demand lawful money, which is U.S. gold and silver. Done. All right? And you know what they'll do? This is the great fiasco because it's a claim check. The U.S. Federal Reserve note is a claim check for lawful money. It's like if you went to a restaurant and you sat down and had dinner with your husband or your wife, and you went to the coat check gal, and you put your coat and your hat and your purse and your umbrella, and then you got done having dinner, and you get get up to leave, and you give them your coat check, and they give you back another coat check. And you go, I'm sorry, it's raining outside. I really want my coat and my umbrella. And they go, well, we'll be delighted to give that to you, but we can't do it at this very time, so we're going to give you this other coat check. And you can hang out of that until such time that we can actually give you back your coat and your hat and your umbrella. Right. And that's what they've done. So, well, here, and and I know that it's right there in the United States Banking Code, 12 U.S.C. 411. Right there. That's great. If they had not done this, they would all go hang on the highest jargon for treason. (laughs) The point stands. It's a 12 regional privately owned boondoggle that, as far as, that's great, whatever, uh, I'm going to look it up, I'm on time for it right now, 12 USC 411, whatever that nonsense is all about, 
and your idea that it that it's probably preempting what used to be called gold and uh, silver certificates just to just to further more uh, fiat debt that's great too the point is very specifically this the constitution does not allow whether it's one banker 500 bankers or in this particular case 12 regional banks to participate under some phony non-elected official in this Federal Reserve nonsense, because that's what it is. And the deciding vote for that chair, by the way, is the New York Federal Reserve. And until recently, Jamie Dimon was the chairman of that august organization. So if there's a little bit of a conflict of interest, just on the, by the way. The point I'm trying to make and the point I've been saying all along is, if you are or participant into this 12 regionally controlled banking system, the shares are offered only amongst you and your fellow privately owned commercial banks, and the return that you can enjoy on those shares is a guaranteed 6%. My facts come from Alan Brown, Web of Debt. I've since looked it up. I've read a, quite a few things, particularly that is, Griffin. No, I, I, that's correct. That is correct. Okay, so my point is this. If these are 12 regionally owned banks, uh, strike that, if these are 12 regional banks privately owned in a closed loop where their shares of, of a guaranteed rate of return of 6% are not open to the public, that ipso facto makes it a private mechanism. Whether you want to take uh, an elected official, which, quite frankly, I don't think you can do, and put them up there and say, uh, the people, we the people voted for that elected official to run this bogus organization, I think that we're beyond that part of the conversation. Right. It's so not going to happen because people are becoming more sophisticated every day. The debt. All right. The debt. So let's, for, for Mike. I want to ask you this. Mike, I want to ask you this. You know, we all respect and honor the work you've done, the research you've done, and everything else. We're not pissing on you. Oh, I love you, too. I told you you're a hell of a ballroom dancer. <laughs> you know, we're not, we're, not, we're not pissing on your ladies. But go ahead, brother. I'm all in. I love this. I love, it's not what a, what a conversation what to me. What I'm trying to help, what I am trying to help invigorate here yeah, is a combination of the understanding of the big picture of certain things that we may or may not be able to act upon and those things that we can act upon. Because, you know, if you go back to the AA oath, you know, the prayer is, Oh, yeah, give me the, let, uh, give let me me the serenity know, let me know to the difference. <laughs> let me know the difference between the shit I can't do nothing about and the stuff I like <laughs> right? Hey, yeah, just, and, just for your own general edification, I don't have a real good time with that prayer either. Uh, I don't agree but, with any of it, but, and but I'm never going to stop spouting off I agree with that. Yeah. I agree. I agree with that concept. The, uh, there are certain things that on this day, as we stand here, you have no control over. You might be able to in the future, but today you don't. Oh, yeah. Well, right? listen, every... every uh, uh, an avalanche starts with a snowflake, you know what I mean, brother? And yeah. and uh, sooner or later, as more and more people become more and more sophisticated in this argument, they're going to understand 
Yeah, but I want to start with the avalanche and work my way back to the snow. <laughs> Well, now you, now you I sound want, exactly. I want, I want. I want to work. <laughs> I want to work with the things that we have an avalanche of information to fight on. All right. Listen, I agree All with you, right. and I agree with you, and that's where I feel about at least two of my cases because I have information that actually led me down this road as it's pertinent to the conversation, and I won't bore you with it. And I appreciate that you're not pissing on my weeds. I, I love a conversation for its own sake. And some people don't understand that about me. And insofar as this conversation goes, I think it is the most important conversation that any person in this country can have who has any ability to think for themselves. You mean this actual conversation on, you know? Well, not not so much not so much with you. (laughs) Oh, that's great. Uh, I'm just I'm teasing you. Come on, you know. I I'm teasing you. Come on. You know, I'm teasing you. I'm teasing you. Go ahead, Deb. What were yeah. you going to say? Did uh, I miss you? You there? Um, this is Neva. Okay. Oh, hi, Neva. Please, how are you? Something very interesting. I had a settlement agreement, confidential settlement agreement, which, of course, they they um, they reached. And the interesting part about this is that they made a huge, during the settlement agreement proceedings, that the note was to remain just as it was originally, okay? And then they put a, a balloon payment on top of that, but neither here nor there. The note, as it was, seemed to be extremely important to them. And in my case, I know that there are three notes. One is signed uh, with a copy. Another is auto-penned. Uh, and, and uh, of course, forged. And the third one has no signature at all. So I was just wondering, and possibly Kathy might answer that, what are they hiding or what are they trying to do by making the note so important in this settlement agreement? Something's up with that. Is Kathy still there? Um, yes, but no, yeah, she yeah, sorry. I'm busy. But um, oh. what they did is they sliced and diced the interest in the notes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, um, I think the term I'm looking for is, uh, it was dividing the risk, where one party didn't hold all the risk in the note. And so um, the term that they use is sliced and diced, where well, you have you're to- actually describing that you're actually describing a liability swap or a credit default swap. That's what you're describing. Okay, and and that's the way I understand it is that there's no one party that holds full interest. That's and, also correct. And because they don't know who the other parties are, or they claim they don't know who they are. Um, they when they file suit, um, they also put on their unknown parties or um, unrecorded claimants, which means parties that would might have a right to the collateral, but they're not recorded on record as having that right. Right. So what you're describing right. in the words of Neil Borowski from Bailout are pitchers of beer that are recycled 
as everyone shares an interest in their close proximity to the bartender who can get the freshest amount of beer as they recycle the same product and pass it on down the line. And in the words of Michael Lewis, what you're describing is the same thing, although he uses a different metaphor. And what he uses is tranches in a tower. What he uses is floors in a tower. So the question stands. The, the, the point is this. The, the note does speak for a specific thing. That is what needs to be preserved. Now, the interest to that note has been uh, jaundiced by any number of participants to any number of fraudulent uh, investment schemes to the pool collective. In other words, the guy with the most juice closest to the bartender gets the freshest beer, according to Neil Borofsky. He pays the least amount of money for his interest in whatever pool happens to be poured, whatever pool represented by the keg that's being poured. He pays the minimal amount of money, but he's getting a guaranteed return. So his interest, although minor, is guaranteed. Now, as the beer gets recycled, according to Borofsky, further down the line, these guys are still gambling on the same note that's still in the same keg, if you will. But because they're making a riskier bet that the beer is not going to hold out, they're paying more for it with the understanding that they're going to get a better rate of return. That yes, is what but, Mike, is. but Mike, but Mike and, and Kathy, I know that this is going to sound like some patriot myth bologna sausage. But, in fact, after we, we have been through multiple bankruptcies in the United States of America in terms of our bean counting because politicians don't want to listen to their CPAs, and they just want to do things to get reelected. Okay, and the CPAs have been pummeled into compliance. Just give us a report that makes us look good. It's been going on for for a century or two. Keynesian economics, debts don't matter. In 33, it totally matters. In 33, there was an absolute declaration of the separation between currency and value. That's the difference. Right, but it's Keynesian, you're describing currency. Keynesian economics where deficits don't matter. That's what they've been saying. The point no, is, no, deficit, it's not, no, it's, no, no, Michael, it's not that deficits don't matter. Well, that's what they've it's been saying. Deficit, I agree that they no, do matter. No, no, it is deficits have been turned into currency. But you have to have a thing where, you know, a bushel of corn had value, and now a bushel of corn has negative value, and only. Negative value of debt has positive value. They basically moved everything with the negative sign from one side to the other side. And yes. now, instead of, instead of living in the world of real numbers, we are dealing in the world of imaginary numbers. And if anybody remembers their freshman algebra class, this I is where we went. Okay? It's very simple if you just remember freshman algebra. Okay? They're all numbers. The only ones that really matter are zero to infinity on the positive side. The ones that are theoretical are zero to infinity on the negative side. And all of our currency is now existing from zero to infinity on the negative side. So if you have something, you have nothing. And if you have nothing, you have something. This is pretty much what has happened. Okay? And if we were ever to discharge the entire United States debt, 
the United States would have no money because it's all based on currency of debt and not on value. All right? But they still try to convince everybody that they have to pledge value against this black hole from Calcutta. All right? And it's ridiculous. And all it takes is a good CPA and a freshman mathematics teacher to sit down with you and explain how this whole thing went to nuts. Yeah, it's ins- it's there's $1,200 really trillion dollars really going to a system that's insolvent. I get it. Yeah. Which means, yeah, which means it, that every single simple. bank on the planet is now insolvent. It's really that simple. Yes, because, because the agents, the, the government agency called the United States is insolvent, and all of its franchisees can only be insolvent if it is insolvent, and it has no sovereign authority in the law of nations under lock, under the rules of the law of nations, no nation can have sovereignty if it is in debt. Period. It right, becomes so a principality. It becomes a principality of its creditor. Well, it goes back to my original point. These people have inveigled themselves in contravention to the Constitution. They don't belong there. Their debt is illegitimate. It is time for us to show them to the door and create a public utility as the central bank. Yeah, yeah, blah, blah, blah. But all I'm trying to say, Michael, is that the only people on Earth that have any value are the people on Earth. Oh, I agree with you. No government has any value without our support. I agree with you. And so all you have to do is resign and quit. Go read what Kurt Kellenbeck wrote. Go do a withdrawal. Go do a, I, I forget, I forgive, whatever. Well, you know, yeah, I've heard all that, too. Uh, living in the private and, and reclaiming your uh, your no, uh, Leibner no, status. No, 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 it's not. It's so stupid simple, it's stupid. All right? And I'm not advocating it, but go check it out. Well, I've already you know, looked at it. In other words, if you want to stop supporting a machine that is destroying your value, go find out ways to do that. Instead of sitting here and arguing about, you know, what lawyer knows what, what bank accountant knows what, what CPA knows what, figure out if you have the right to just pull all your stakes in, pull all your investments in. You are the investor of the United States, by the way, all right? And so if you don't want to invest in it anymore, since it is just a corporate entity, do you have the right to pull your investment? Do you have the right to just take everything back and sit in your land and wait for something better to happen? Think about it. I've already thought about it. I know all about the Lieber Doctrine. I've heard all about this stuff. Living in the private, right. recapturing your birth certificate, and so on and so forth. I don't know how true it is. I haven't followed it that far because I'm involved with this foreclosure stuff. Okay. I know. But Guys, we just, you, Neva, go ahead. Neva, you go. Yeah, I'm, we're back now. Hello. Hello. I'm working <laughs> on this right now. Okay? With yeah. regard to foreclosure, mortgages, and notes, I'm working on it right now. I don't know where it's going, but I'm going to do it anyway because I believe in the kitchen sink style of litigation. I, I do too. God bless you. And everything. And that's going to be part of it, and I'll let you guys know when I get done. I think that's great. I just ordered some more birth certificates 
certified certificates from uh, New York City because that's where I was born. So uh, I'm working on it. And I just found out that even though my father was born in Germany, uh, they're all part of the same banking mess, and that's who we're all subjected to. Are basically, they, they're telling us that we don't own our own bodies. Okay? So I'm working on it, and I'll let you know when I get there. I'm, I'm only about halfway through, and I haven't got my new birth certificates yet. So hmm. Good. what the hell, right? All right. And, and, and it is now 10 minutes after 7. On our one-hour phone call, we're approaching one and a half hours. I blame and, uh, you. I, no, yes, and uh, <laughs> I accept all responsibility. Oh, I like it. Um, you know, I I know very well the people that we invite to this party, and uh, and I know that they're all brilliant. All of you are brilliant, and all of you are good-hearted and deeply researched, and none of you is making up a bunch of nonsense to share with each other. I know that, and everybody else should know that, too. Um, but, you know, as the moderator of this call, I'm just trying to help everybody. You know, there are going to be people who download our calls and listen to them, and I don't want them to hear bits and pieces of baloney that are not supported by evidence and facts, all right, because we'll be dead and gone, and these things will still be out there, all right? And that's all I'm looking for. I want you guys to help you know, really provide substantive and meaningful information to help everyone, not just for the future and our grandkids and our kids, but also for the here and now, all right? And and that's what I'm trying to get to. So before we hang up, we've got uh, guest five. I don't know who that is. We've got Central Illinois, which is Kathy. We've got Southwest, Southern Carolina, which is Neva. Um, we've got Southwest Ohio, who is self-muted, and guest number four left. Uh, before we close out this call, I want to make sure that everyone who's been here has an opportunity to, you know, spit their own two cents into the conversation before we close out. Um. Does that mean I can talk again? <laughs> no, no, it means, it means, it means, no, it means that you're going to, it means that you're going to listen to a piece of my picture. Um, before you wrap up with what you'd like to say. No, I'm um, teasing you. I'm going to go eat dinner. I didn't eat dinner yet. Um, no, well, I haven't either, but, um. As, as some of you know, I'm a composer and arranger and musician, right? In addition to all this other crap. And let me see. Hi, Greg. I, I have a question. Hi. Yes. I haven't talked to you in a long time. How are you doing? Who's this? Trayan. Hey. I talked with you when uh, you were with Carl. Oh, my God. <laughs> right. It's been years. Actually, you were going to make uh, T-shirts. I'm still going to do that. <laughs> cool. 
But I'm going to be different. <laughs> I got one question. How would you? How would one stop an eviction? How would one stop an eviction? Well, yes. what I'm doing is making sure that at no point in time my home is ever vacant of a human body. Yeah, well, the sheriff still is still going to come out and try to kick you out. Are you gonna Are you gonna answer the door? Probably not. Uh, have you filed an unlawful detainer action? Uh, no. What I'm gonna be doing, and I I'm hoping Greg knows more about this because I know he was on a couple of calls with Carl about the void orders. What is yeah, that? And, and you know what? Uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it that, that another time because I still haven't seen any any positive effects of any of those things. But you've got my email address and my phone number. Call me or email me. Now, how does an unlawful detainer affect? Unlawful detainer is like you're sitting in the home and they're trying to get you out, but you sue, you sue, basically you sue them back and say, I'm not leaving because of this reason or that reason. Okay? And it's a regular... But, but Neva, usually unlawful detainer is filed against the person who won't leave. Oh. Oh, then you answer it. Right. And file a list pendants which states your intention or actually form a lawsuit against them. Absolutely, a list pendants is necessary to hold the property in place. That's what's holding uh, my in place right now. No. What state in are you in, sweetheart? I'm in South Carolina. Where's the who's, trying, who's trying to avoid uh, eviction? Who, who uh, in South Carolina are you? No. Pennsylvania. 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 In New Jersey, there's um, there's Communities United, and it's a, it's a it's a group that they send you through a three day indoctrination period. I've been there. It's in Newark. I happen to be in New Jersey, and if you're prepared to explain your case to your neighbors and make it part of the public record and explain that they're everyone's case is different, as we know, and some people have fraud and some people have reasons to form a lawsuit because they have evidence, for example. And the, if you call to New Jersey uh, Communities United, I'm willing to bet you that they have a, uh, a comparable program in Pennsylvania. And my point is, if you go and explain your situation to them, they actually have someone that will help you create a, a package that you can put into the local press. But you have to be prepared to explain to your neighbors what your situation is, go door to door, and then if there's a sheriff sale, if there's going to be an eviction planned in New Jersey, I know they call to say when it's going to take place. So at that point, they actually teach you as part of the organism Communities United that they'll send people, they'll bust them to your site, to your house, and they'll teach you how to uh, use PVC three-inch pipe and handcuff yourselves in a human chain around the property. Um, and they also teach you how to uh, passively resist while the police come to cart you away. Now, I haven't gone down that road yet, although I did go to the training, and I do know that they've had some success because um, Newark specifically is a very busy city in New Jersey, and in a lot of the minority neighborhoods, 
Um, what part? What part of uh, New Jersey? I'm on. Uh, I'm up by the beach up near Belmar, up by Asbury Park area. Because I have a friend that's uh, fighting um, property tax in Williamstown. Yeah, I mean, again, everyone's case is different, and I can only suggest that if you're prepared to make your case part of the public record, and you can reach out to Communities United. Um, they may have some way for you to go where you can explain. They'll help you prepare a press package and that sort of thing. And you may even get some live volunteers to help you resist and make the sheriff cross the human chain, which they're very reluctant to do. Um, the other Could part you post of that, that whole on the um, chat board? I have to, I'm going to go back. I'll see if I can find Communities United, and I'll put it up on Living Wise in the most recent article at the top. How's that sound? That's great. Thank you. I'll see if I can find it. And then the other part of that is if you can go to your local sheriff's department and if you can show that there is fraud, um, not everybody can, by the way, but some people can show fraud um, and they can show that there's actual criminal behavior going on as part of fraud and the inducement, for example, on your loan. Um, if you can show that and you can bring it to the oath keeper in the sheriff's department, the oath keeper is the person in that department who is the final arbiter of what is considered to be uh, protecting criminal behavior or possibly uh, well, he's supposed to form right. a political response, you know? Well, I, I wrote to the sheriff many a times. I got no response. Um, then I end up writing uh, to another gentleman. He's a deputy. And actually the last time, that they tried to evict me. He ended up calling me at 8.30 in the morning. He called me three times that morning. He says, I'll hold off these guys. Do a miracle on your end. And then I end up filing bankruptcy. And then they end up doing a motion for uh, relief. And, of course, they got it. Now they're, they just sent in um, on the 17th for the writ of recession. Well, again... Everyone's case is different, and I don't mean to make light of it or be flippant, but I suggest you get right to the sheriff's department and look for the oath keeper and explain to him your situation and what it is you know and explain that this is illegal behavior and you could prove it for this reason or that reason. And prior to that, I think we should try to get hold of you where there's going to be some public advocacy program which, frankly, I think you should get online five minutes after this call ends and look for some sort of public foreclosure uh, advocacy, and then you should approach them and explain what's going on. Right, um, and, and guys, and again, you know, as we're approaching uh, shutoff time here, um, everybody who wants to talk to each other, send me an email. If you If you are willing to be contacted, also send me an email because I'm not going to send stuff to you that you didn't authorize, all right? Um, yep. A lot of people want to talk to a lot of people. A lot of people want to talk. A lot of people want to listen. A lot of people want to help. But I'm not one to play bully on this call. So everybody on this call, lawman, L-A-W-M-A-N dot G-M-X dot U-S, send me uh, something akin to a release. It says that you're cool with sharing your information with the other people from this call. All right? 
and then make sure that when you write to me that you specify that it is from this call tonight so that I know that it's okay because I don't want to, you know, my best friends out there to have to sue me because I screwed up. All right. Now, yeah, I, I want to input today um, as I was around, I was watching out my window, and a guy came looking like he was from WSSC, and he walked down the long side of my parking lot in a vest, which doesn't mean anything because these organized crime criminals wear a vest, and so does um, anybody who wears utilities, but they're still criminals. And then he comes by my gate, which is locked, and he's going to try to – so I ran and went outside to approach him, and he ran. I saw his truck. Not I mean, oh, my God, just – if you just take a, a quaalude for a minute, man, it's like they're not criminals because they've got... No, no, no. I'm just saying, I'm, he's not a WSSC man is what I was saying. No. I'm saying Nobody's anybody criminal. No one is a criminal unless they actually take a criminal act. Okay. You could have somebody who is contemplating kidnapping your daughter, mm-hmm. and they're not a criminal until they do it. Okay. All right. Anyway, he ran when People I People driving around your house just are just driving around your house, and this is America, home of the free, and if you can't drive around your house, then we're in Nazi Germany. Okay. You've got to find intent. You've got to find action. You've got to find proof. I mean, you. I, I know that it sucks, but that's what it is. So just everybody back off on this whole calling everybody a criminal who wears a badge or not. Get over it. Move on. All right. Now, it's almost Christmas, and I want to close with this. Neva and I have been talking about this little thing. You know, I'm a composer and arranger, and uh, we like to have fun. And you're all familiar with the song, The Twelve Days of Christmas. Well, I decided to create a song called the 21 Days of Tila. All right? And so we created a little parody, and Neva helped me with some of the, you know, little metaphors in there. And I'm going to give you the uh, unofficial first rendition of the final verse of the song. Can I preempt you for Uh, one second and ask if that woman's still on the phone that's facing eviction? Yeah. What happened to her? She hang up. She just hang up. Because I just found no, the web. I'm not, I'm not, I, I know she's there. Is she there? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Here, here it is. Are you ready? You should write this down. Hold on. Okay. It's New Jersey Communities United. And I would suggest you contact them. Uh, you you can take my email if you like, if you get in a jam. I'm Mike Keen, one word, no caps, K-E-A-N-E, Mike Keen, at optonline.net. Got it? 
Yeah, I hope it's correct. Well, right. like I said, if you call New Jersey Communities United and see if they have a sister organization in Pennsylvania, you might find someone that's willing to give you some public advocacy. Okay. I wish you every good luck with it. Thank you so All much. Right. So, we're like at one hour and 45 minutes here almost. And we're going to just say good night. And again, everybody, we're going to do this again on Wednesday of next week instead of Thursday. Uh, because Seth takes no vacation. And we have to keep talking about this stuff. It doesn't matter if we're through the holidays. As a matter of fact, um, those who live in Illinois are familiar with the fact that they created a new legislation that's going to forbid homeowners to record anything onto the reporter's office after January 1st without a court order because they're trying to have a little experiment in Cook County to make sure that only the bankers and the lawyers and the judges win and you can't. And if there is no record on the court, on the county recorder's office, then it doesn't exist in the public record. And that's what they're trying to do. So everybody in Illinois has got to get this shit done before December 31st. If anything at all, if you want to just put in a claim, if you want to put in an argument, whatever, any filings have to be done before the first of the year, before the 31st, because it'll all be on holiday. Is that all? Is that is that for all states? That's for Cook County, Illinois. It's not for any place else in Illinois. And there, there's going to be constitutional challenges on this because how can how can the state legislature redact the rights of three million people in Cook County and not the rest of the state? It's just it's just absurd. Criminal, right? Yes, unconstitutional. Right. You know, it's like everybody or nobody, right? And so they just selected, you know, half the state population in one corner in order to do this because that's where Obama lives and that's where, you know, Rahm Emanuel lives. And they're trying to create a whole separate legal structure within this county that doesn't pertain to the rest of the state. And I don't want to go into that in this call. I want to just finish with a humorous little ditty that Neva and I were working on earlier today. And I'm going to only give you the final verse. You're familiar with the 12 days of Christmas? This is what I call the 20 day, 21 days of Tila. Tila as in rescission. On the 21st day of Tila, my banker gave to me one house for free. <laughs> 20 days no answer, 19 days of waiting, 18 investors leaping, 17 hired experts, 16 affidavits. More useless things. <laughs> Fourteen sheriffs shirking. Thirteen bankers bumming. Twelve jurors scowling. Eleven papers shredding. Ten useless things. Nine justice ruling. 
Eight VPs bilking. Seven bankers skimming. Six plaintiffs praying. Five useless things. Four calling nerds. Three henchmen. Two days of peace. And a postal delivery receipt. <laughs> That again. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody. Good job, Greg. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. God bless you all, and uh, we'll be back next Wednesday for um, make sure everybody's got their eggnog. <laughs> and like hey. I said, just email, email me, Greg, at lawman.gmx at us, and uh, let me know who you want to talk to and who you want to hear from, and. I'll hook y'all up so that. Gee, I'm going to eat dinner. Merry Christmas. Good night. Michael. See you. Good night, night, everybody. Happy holidays to everyone. Thanks. Be safe. Good night. Thanks, Greg. All right, everybody. We are going to say good night. Good night. God bless you all, and have a great Christmas. And. We'll talk to you next week before the new year. Bye-bye. Bye. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.